Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and we're taking a little bit of a departure from our regular programming today. And I hope it doesn't sound weird because I am in a slightly different space right now. So as y'all may or may not know, I was pretty much strictly Instagram and TikTok for the past few years until I started this podcast when you kind of have to expand your social media horizons, as they say. And as much as I believe that Instagram would be my answer, I've actually found a really amazing indie pod squad over on Twitter that's like supportive, helpful. I love it over there. So Cult Cuts. C-U-L-T-C-U-T-Z is a podcast about cult classics and their filmmakers. And it's so well produced, high quality, excellent voice work. And the latest episode comparing Charlotte's Web and Fight Club, y'all, like 10 out of 10, I would definitely recommend. Anyway, so they mentioned that maybe I should try doing a little live drinking commentary episode. And after I got the cosign from Lords of the, uh, the Lords of Swine, excuse me, the Lords of Swine, which is another great podcast about all the things that five friends would want to chat about and you definitely want to listen to. They actually did a list of like the top 10 uh, like comic related movies that are coming out in the next year that they're interested in seeing. Really good list. But you want to listen to that one too. But between those two, I was sold on the idea. I was originally going to watch another movie, but we're moving that one to next week. But this week, we're going to focus on a film that definitely deserves at least a couple drinks. This week, sticking with our family theme, we're going to be watching a documentary, real documentary from 1975 that definitely goes best with a glass of some anything strong. Grey Gardens, okay? If you're not familiar, Grey Gardens is a doc that was directed by brother duo David and Albert Mazels. In the film, we follow elderly mother Edith Beale and her 58-year-old daughter, Edith Beale, who we usually refer to as Edie so we can tell the difference. But they also both go by Big Edie and Little Edie. So, but we'll call Big Edie Edith usually and Little Edie will be Edie. They live in a wealthy neighborhood in the Hamptons, like the ritzy part of Long Island, New York. But the mansion that they lived in had basically gone to shit and they were about to be kicked out of the neighborhood. Okay, so maybe you're like, who are these people and why are they getting a movie just because they live in a crappy house in 1970-something? Like, social media wasn't even a thing? Well, Edith and Edie happen to be the aunt and cousin, respectively, of Mrs. Jackie O, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, former first lady of the United States, y'all. Now, since this is a doc, and I'm going to mostly be reacting, I'm just going to give you like a brief rundown before we start of everything that went down before we get to when this movie starts. So, Big Edie and her husband, Falon Beale, they got married back in the 1920s. They bought this nice-ass house, I think, in oh, with this ocean view from the top floor back in 1923. He dipped. But the Edies went on and just lived in the house. Um, and eventually they got older. They weren't making money. They basically allowed it to run down. So in 1972, this is a nice neighborhood. They have a housing association. The place is going to crap. The whole, like the neighborhood looks like shit because of this one house. So there was a bunch of raids by the Suffolk County Health Department. They had fleas, 
raccoons, a bunch of cats, no running water, trash everywhere. So they were about to get kicked out of this house and they were about to knock down the property. So family stepped in, particularly Jackie Kennedy and her sister, Lee Radziwill. And they stepped in, they got the place cleaned up and they gave them money to maintain the place and pay for everything. Now, originally Lee Radziwill, which is Jackie Kennedy's sister, she funded a project for the Maisel brothers to come in and film a doc about her life in the Hamptons. But then they met this mother-daughter duo and they were like, nah, I think we should film that, like seriously, like that's the thing that, and Lee was like, no, I'm not paying for you to film them. No, we was talking about like the good part of my family and they were like, well, we really want to film them. So she pulled her money out of the project and they were like, we gonna go ahead and film them anyway. So they went on and talked to them, got their permission and decided to work on this film that ended up releasing in 1975. Ellen Hoyd and Muffy Meyer also directed on this project and Susan Fremke was the associate producer. So we also had some women working on the film as well. And you can actually tell that they were heavily involved in the directing and editing of the film as the film does seem to observe both women from a, like a non-sexualized gaze, even when they attempt to sexualize themselves in a way. Now, you know, normally we would go through our cast of characters right now, but honestly, there's only two main characters, Edith and Edie, and there's a couple people who are like in and out once or twice, but their interactions are more about how they interact with Edie and Edith and Edie rather than their personalities. So we'll just talk about them as they come up. Now, I've got a bottle of Knob Creek and we're gonna see if I can do a little ASMR here. I don't know if you're gonna be able to pick this up, but I'm about to pour it. I do drink neat, and when I drink by myself, <laughs> I cheers my bottle so I can get the, you know, cheers. Um, and I'm gonna watch this movie for the first time in maybe seven or eight years. So this film is about an hour and a half, but I'm definitely not gonna give y'all an hour and a half of commentary because it focuses way more on personalities of these two women than the actual plot. So I'm gonna pop in every now and again, and it's definitely gonna be cut down, but we'll cover some of the bigger scenes in quotes. Um, I don't think I'm gonna get too lit, but I am in the safety of my own home. I'm over 21 years old, and I am not planning on leaving the house this evening, so we are good. So, um, without further ado, I guess let's actually press play. And also I apologize if my neighbors are a little louder this evening than normal. I don't know what's going on, but they're walking around a lot and it's making a lot of noise. I do remember that this opening takes a long time to get through. Not like a super long time. It's just like a lot of silence and a lot of screens. What are you doing here? Is there anything? It's probably the main room. Oh. I don't know if y'all can hear that. Like, how could you go into that house and not need a drink as soon as you walk in? Did 
They apparently the cat got out and there's a hole in their ceiling. Raccoons are making holes in their house that their cat can get out of. And look, Edie's like, yeah, we gonna get raided again. <laughs> We've got our title card, Great Gardens. We're looking at the building. It's covered, overgrown with flowers, weeds. Jackie's aunt is told to clean up the mansion. We get a series of newspaper clippings letting us know that people are literally following this family because it's Jackie o Bouvier, Kennedy Onassis's aunt and cousin, and they're not supposed to be living in squalor in a really nice neighborhood in the Hamptons. Like, what is going on? So the thing I'm not clear on is, sorry, I'll turn it down a little. The thing I'm not clear on is the whole movie, Little Edie wears like a head wrap, so you can never see her hair. And I can't tell if something's happened to her hair, if she's suffering hair loss, or if she just covers her hair up all the time. But her, hair, her head stays covered all the time. So first off, <laughs> when they first get there, she looks at David, because it's David and Al, the brothers, uh, the filmmakers. And she looks at David and says, David, you look wonderful. You've got light blue on. you got light blue on. And then she looks at Al and she says, well, Al, you, you know, mother always said you were conservative. She literally, like, roasted him. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, like, you, I mean, you look how you always look. Ooh, sorry about that. I went into a coffin fit. But now I need to describe this outfit to you. And then I'm going to let her describe the outfit to you, okay? We have a navy blue scarf. A wool scarf that is pulled over her head and attached at the neck by a brooch. We have a burgundy wool turtleneck, long-sleeved. We have a skirt that is covering a white pair of shorts that is also covering a pair of fishnets now you picture all that right now i'm gonna let her describe to you why she's wearing it brooks everything looks wonderful brooks is the gardener he's gardening outside this is the best thing to wear to the day you understand because i don't like women in skirts and the best thing is to wear pantyhose or some pants under a short skirt i think then you have the pants under the skirt, and then you can pull the stockings up over the pants underneath the skirt. Mm -hmm. And you can always take off the skirt and use it as a cape. So I think this is the best costume for the day. It's the best costume for the day. <laughs> She got to think them up. Like, nobody else is going to think them up for her. Her mom wanted her to wear a kimono. She was like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> she said, did my costume look all right for Brooks? Yo, no, no, no. She said, do you think my outfit looks all right for Brooks? He looked a little amazed. And David, the filmmaker, he was like, no, I think he's probably seen it before. She said, no, no, no. This is the revolutionary costume. I don't wear this in the East Hamptons. I've never worn this out here before. This girl, she she has quotes. She has quotes for the ass. This is the revolutionary costume. I'm about to call every outfit that I wear that don't match and looks crazy. The Please make sure you go to my Instagram to check out these photos. I'm probably going to post them a little later in the week, but I'm going to try to find this outfit so you can see it. This revolutionary outfit that she got on. You know, people go back to the kitchen now. 
But the washing machine was always put the maids down. You know, she is just talking. She is just talking right now. It's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. You know what I mean? It's awfully difficult. Yo, she going through a lot. I don't know. Like, this is... So the weird thing about this movie is uh, they did get some backlash because people were like, these two people are clearly like not mentally healthy. And the brothers were like, I'm not going to say they're not mentally healthy. I just think they're eccentric. I just think this is how they live. This is how they express themselves. And like saying that something is wrong with their brains because they choose to express themselves like this is weird. I mean, they lived with each other by themselves for 50 years. I mean, they, what do you expect from these people? But, like, also, the the film, I mean, it, it, it does make them look like rich, backwoods royalty. But not like Tiger King. Like, actually coming from some sort of money, having some sort of class, but that class not pronouncing itself in the right way because they've been isolated for so long. Interesting concept, I think. Oh my gosh. Edith be sitting outside with barely nothing on. I mean, she's at her house. She's sitting on her porch. She got like a towel wrapped around her top. But it is about to fall off. And it's a beautiful property. For sure. There are cats everywhere. And they don't look they don't look sick, sick but they don't look well. Brooks wants his check. So they about to pay him $24. And she got on. I gotta show you Edie's outfits. Like, Edith, the mom, you know, she just mostly sit on the porch, mostly naked. Or she's in the house. But Edie's outfits. Edie's fits though, like I don't understand her fits. Like her fits look like she's about to go to the club at all times, but she's just literally chilling at home. And I know she always talking about how she want to leave the house, but also that what outfit did, you got to go to my Instagram and look at these outfits because they're wild. Hold on, so Edie comes back outside and <laughs> she comes back outside and just says out loud. I won't get out of here unless she dies or I die. And her mom, who she's like handing this checkbook to, goes, who dies? And she's like, I don't like it here. <laughs> Edie, girl, you just came back outside. And then her mom was like, well, you can't be free when you're being supported. And Edie was like, I can't. She like, no, girl. <laughs> as long as I'm paying for you, girl, you finna stay here. <laughs> I will say one thing. She's 56. Her body don't look 56. Her face definitely does. That body though, she could pass for a mean 45. What? She, her mama apparently does not like to wear girdles. She don't like to wear clothes. She likes to be naked as much as possible. Um, and Edie likes to wear very form-fitting things. So she wears girls. She wears tights. She wears stockings. Edith Beals is naked on this top porch. 
at least three times during this movie. I mean, she's not naked. She has a towel over her chest. She has a towel over her lap. But you can tell that underneath the towel, if any of that falls, baby, it is out. And Mama Edith has a nerve to say, well, you see where wearing clothes got you. No babies, no husbands, nothing. She is literally telling her daughter, you should have been naked. <laughs> oh, Jerry is showing up. So, I don't know. I can't tell. I can't get a read on the situation with Jerry. Maybe while I watch the movie this time, I can get a better read. But Jerry is a handyman who looks like he's like 16. But apparently, I don't, I can't tell what age he is because they offer him liquor. But also, I mean, they are very eccentric as well. But he comes and sits down on the porch while Edie's like reading out of this book about astrology talking about how she needs a libran man to marry and then she when he's walking up she's talking about how jerry's an uh, aquarius but she needs a libra man and jerry kind of sits down on the porch and is listening to her read and talking to her but like i can't tell whether he's there because maybe he feels awkward he says he wants to read this book that she has and she at first she's like oh i don't think you're ready for it but then she's like oh maybe you are um but he's I can't tell whether he likes her or not. I think she thinks that he likes her. And I think he might just hang around them because they're weird. And also they feed him and they just be letting him do whatever the fuck he want. I kind of think that's maybe it. Every time I listen to them talk, especially when I listen to Edie talk, she sounds just the way JFK sounded when he talks, but just like a woman, like a, a higher octave, like, or like, I mean, a higher tone. If you hear she like and you listen to JFK, they have that same like Upper East New York Long Island accent. I I've grown accustomed to it because I lived in Long Island for two years. Anyway, they're looking at pictures of. Looking at pictures of when the wedding, wedding pictures, pictures with her husband. They didn't get divorced. He just left. Had a Mexican divorce, married someone else, but it's, of course, not recognized by the Catholic Church because it wasn't a real divorce. And the Catholic Church is not too keen on divorces anyway. So Edith also had two little boys that we never see. She talks about how great they are, how she adored those two little boys. And the way that she talked to Edie in the film, the way she treat her, it's unfortunate. some older ladies even though they're older like they're pretty in a way that you can tell that they were pretty back in their heyday kind of pretty edith is kind of pretty like that like if you look at her face and her features you could tell that you know guys probably went up for a little bit back in the day you know <laughs> back in the day edith used to sing 
And this is her on a record that she made with this um, her old accompanist, accompanist Gould back in the day. And there's a lot of these little moments where she's listening to some music and she just need to bust out and sing because like, you know, you just want to hear your voice again, especially when you used to sing. So you about to get a little moment of Edith singing right now. Oh, and the record just messed up and just started hissing on her. That thing just cut off. It was like, nah, girl, we done with this. <laughs> you know, it's strange because Big Edie has a personality sort of like she's a little younger. And little Edie has a personality like a really naggy mother. It's But like a naggy mother, but also kind of like a insubordinate child it's a weird little Edie's personality is so weird but not necessarily in a bad way she's just never seen anybody like her that was me that wasn't her I know did you enjoy that no girl I got you girl also, if you look up the soundtrack to Grey Gardens, the soundtrack is these people singing these songs. Just FYI. She's still going. Lord. She's going. Alright, girl. Yes, girl. So, Jerry bought some stuff for the fleas in the house, I guess, because there's still fleas because they have nine cats and also raccoons. And so there's flea bites everywhere. I can't even imagine living in that. Like, if my, if I start to itch too much in my bed, I immediately get up and change my sheets. How do you live with fleas around you? Now they've decided to listen to a Catholic service and this is one of the moments in the movie that feels like, like I forget constantly that this is a documentary because things feel like, oh, this is in a movie. Like this is what should be in a movie. I'm about to play this for you so you can hear this sermon for yourself. Try, y'all. Just try. Think. Really think. Think. Do that. Believe. Really believe. Oh, there it is. They are listening to a sermon while Edie is looking through old shoes. Just, it is just a, a pile. So I actually had to take a short 
break for about an hour, but I still took some sips of my drink so I could stay level. And uh, we are going to jump back into this film. Oh, she just said something about hoping that her hair grows. So she must have had some hair loss or something. So Edie's about to give us a little speech on how resilient and staunch she is. Mother's telling Marjorie how spoiled I am, how terrible I am. And Marjorie knew my father and my uncle. Mother's giving her all this SHIT, so I went and told her things about the family. She told some things about the family. But you see, in dealing with me, the relatives didn't know that they were dealing with a staunch character. And I tell you, if there's anything worse than a staunch woman, S-T-A-U-N-C-H. There's nothing worse, I'm telling you. They don't weaken. No matter what. But they didn't know that. Wow, what they didn't know. Sometimes Edie looks like she could pop at any time. Like she could just go on a spree any moment. But then sometimes she seems so soft, like she couldn't even hurt a bug. I don't know, man. <laughs> this was taken by They're looking at some old pictures of Edie, and she is gorgeous. From when she was younger, she, now she does not have a face that reads like, oh, I was a baddie when I was younger. These pictures of her. She is stunning. I am. Wow. I didn't even remember these pictures. She looks gorgeous. Jeez. Wow. It's probably foolish of her not to look that way now. She could, you know. She didn't worry about it. Her mama said she could still look like that if she didn't worry about everything. That's wild. Her mom is so rude. And I think, you know, I have a mom that's kind of like that. Not, she's grown out of it as she's gotten older. And I know some people grow into it as they get older. But my mom has always been one of those people that she'll say something and she'll just be like, what? I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying something. And um, she doesn't realize that the thing she's saying is rude. <laughs> It's unfortunate because she thinks she's just having like casual conversation, especially because she is, my mom is a little older. So the things that she says that she thinks is okay, sometimes they are not okay. And she doesn't take it well when you tell her it's not okay. So I, I sympathize with little Edie a lot. <laughs> Edith says she picked out a bunch of men that Edie could possibly marry including Paul Getty, who was the richest man in the world at one point. And she said, no, she didn't want to marry any of these men because she said she didn't fall in love or she didn't want to get married until she was 31. Edie really, I think, is just a woman out of time. I think she she would, she would be wonderful on TikTok now. People would love her content. She would be amazing on social media. She is just, She was not built for that time. You didn't want it. I couldn't get away. Well, you, that's the choice. You can't go back you know, and say, feel gorgeous right now. This is um, and say, oh, why a really interesting because you didn't conversation that they're having right now that I think is 
really interesting for us to put in perspective as well. Edie is talking about all of these things that she didn't do um, uh, when she was younger, all of these opportunities she didn't take. She didn't go overseas, um, but she says it was because her mother was sick. Um, she never got married, but she said it was because, you know, she wasn't interested at the time. Um, she even said she didn't go to her uh, high school reunion um, because Jack Kennedy uh, something was going on at the time and she didn't want to go. And Jack Kennedy was campaigning and he, he got in. So she said it would have been fun. And um, her mom says, you know, you you can't f- want to feel then how you feel now. Time has passed and you feel the way you feel now. And it makes you feel like I would like to have done those things then. But you didn't want to do those things then because you were a different person then. And as you've gotten older and you've gotten more confident in yourself, you would have loved to go to those things and have fun as you feel now. But back then, you weren't that person. That's such an important message to think a lot of times we judge ourselves and blame ourselves for decisions that we made in our past, not realizing we're not that same person. We're coming from a place that knows what happened in that situation, a much wiser place, an older place, a place of more experience. So obviously you can look back on an old experience and say, gosh, I should have done that. Dang. But you can't dwell on that because the reason you didn't do it or the reason you did do it is because you were different. You were a different you at that point. I, I, That's so important to remember. And I love this little conversation that gives you that. Let's get this poem. Hold on. Pondering, pondering both, a pondering each. Pondering one, I took the other. And that made all the difference. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that ordinary? Just three lines like that. Who else? Two roads diverged in yellow wood. You said that. We want something. And pondering one, I took the other. You're not teaching. And that made all the difference. We don't want to learn this. You're not teaching us. You know what they remind me of, and I know that the, that movie, this movie, took place, I think, in Coney Island or Staten Island. Uh, if you guys ever saw Requiem for a Dream, and you know Linda Goldfarb from that movie, they remind me. If you put the two of them together, of Linda Goldfarb, like the way that she has conversations with the other women on the block, that kind of like. They're yelling at each other, but like you can tell they're not mad, but they're kind of rude at each other kind of conversation. It's, um, it's, I, I don't know, like I do need a drink watching this because they are hard. I don't know how these filmmakers could be in this house but as much as they were listening to these two all day long. Now, Edie is trying to tell her. Now see, this is the the conversation. Sometimes it seems like Edie is trying to like relive things with her mom and her mom just doesn't want to give her 
her flowers in front of her. Like, I don't like that. Like, give let, let her have her shine for a moment. She always rag on her and tell her to dance, but then she's always like, yeah, Edie can't dance. It's like, dang, then why are you asking me to dance? She set a cracker with liver pate on it right on the table. It's flies all over this room. Oh, my God. And they eating out of a mini fridge just in um, Edith's room. And they eating liver pate on crackers and ice cream. Do you think I should have gotten the nightclub room? Oh, my gosh. I think Edith wanted her daughter to leave. And Edie just didn't have it in her to do it. She blamed taking care of her mother as the reason for not leaving. She just. She likes the dream of being able to leave. I can't give her. Rather than actually leaving, because I think she's scared of what happened. Good, I'm telling you, I can't get my thank you back unless I hit New York City. You know. All I was talking about going to New York City. Probably like a two hour, two and a half out. No, the Hamptons are a little further. So quite a train ride to New York City. But, I mean, you could get there in about three, four hours, I think. Um, and Edie is, Edith is naked. So we love that for ourselves. All these cats, they look nourished but not taken care of. <laughs> she said it's a goddamn beautiful day. Shut up. Same girl. Same. And I, I think Edie is about to have a little bit of a meltdown because she do not like talking about her mama and Gould. She, she thinks that she quit doing what, like living her own life so she could take care of her mom. Her mom thinks that she was fine. An elderly mother-daughter argument is... Something to behold. Yeah, and this is. This is he took care of mother by accompanying her to the movies and playing the piano. Now, I'm not going to play the whole thing, obviously, but this argument is confusing me. So first, they're saying that Edie did not have to come back because Edith was being taken care of by Gould. But then Edie brings up that her mom asked her to come back in 1952, and her mom says, well, yeah, I felt like you should have come home at that point. And Edie's like, I was just getting up the nerve to be able to, like, get my big break and her mom is like you y'all don't even need to be filming this they're having it's a really complicated conversation because i think they both honestly believe that the other one is 
misunderstanding the situation. But I think, I mean, they're both at fault. Like, I think Edie kind of wanted to come back home because she didn't want to risk feeling the failure because she hadn't really been doing well in New York when she was away. She was away, I think, for six or seven years before she came back. And um, her mom was doing okay, but getting sicker. So um, I'm sure that did worry Edie and she probably did want to come back. But also she says that when her mom asked her to come back in 1952, she didn't want to leave because she wasn't ready. Um, So I think they both blame each other and it's good that they can live each other, live around each other um, and cohabitate like this. But it is they, they are definitely at odds. Also, I mean, going back to what Edie was saying earlier, why was she concerned about her mother being pleased sexually? I mean, I guess later on in life, we do have concerns about that, but why would you be upset about that? I mean, I'd be disappointed, I guess, if I found out my mom wasn't getting it, but like, also, I don't necessarily want my mom to get it. I don't, I don't know. That was a weird thing for her to say, but you can hear Edith in the background. You know, she always got to be singing something, this guy Tom Logan, I guess, that Edith had been seeing for a while. Edie don't like nobody that Edith likes. That is such a great character description. He made good salads, but he was drunk all the time. What a I know a lot, I, I know some guys who make good salads and are drunk all the time. Rose. <laughs> I don't know what's up with Edie because she is really nice to Jerry's face, but then she tells everybody that she does not like Jerry. She don't want him in the house. I don't get her. Jerry's fucking lying. No, I'm tired. I don't want to get any tired. I do want Jerry. Who wants a nice piece of corn? And she just, she just give, she's offering Jerry a, a big piece of corn on the cob. But that corn on the cob look good, child. Corn on the cob with a big old piece of butter slabbed across it. Some fresh corn on the cob. Butter and salt. Oh, my gosh. We don't even. Uh, I want some elote right now. It is It is so late. It is early. Y'all. I think the the lick is kicking in. <laughs> I need a hot pot so I can make corn on the side of my bed, too. I think that's a good idea. They put bread and cat food in the... They, put, they take a whole um, bag of bread and cat food and dump it in the attic so they can feed the raccoons. She said there are raccoons, sloths, otters, badgers, all sorts of animals that be up there. But I just see this one raccoon. But they are feeding it. I mean, I guess they feed it so that it doesn't come downstairs and eat their food. But, I mean, this is wild. She's literally upstairs dumping out cat food and bread so that they got something to eat. Yo, Edith just said the bath, the cat is taking views in the bathroom right behind my portrait. And Edie said, isn't that awful? And Edie said, no, I think it's great. At least somebody doing something they want to do. You like that a cat is using the bathroom right on the floor in your room. That is nasty. That's all. Jerry apparently just, Jerry want to get with Edie. He is only after one thing. 
And then Edie's out here like, you know he got a whole bunch of girls out in Long Island. And Edie's like, I don't care. Tell him he's not going to get with me. Because I said no. <laughs> so one of the next scenes in the movie is my favorite because it, it actually establishes both of them as really unreliable narrators um, in a clean way. So we have a, a conversation with the two of them where they're talking. Edie starts talking about how strict her father is. Now, you remember before, she was very defensive about her mother being with anybody but her father. Now she's having a whole conversation about how strict her father was. He didn't want her to wear any makeup, high heels, any of that stuff. But also, he wanted her to be a professional. Did not want her to get married. Edith says... I don't think women should get married. Now, Edith was just talking about how she wanted Edie to get married, but she says, I don't think women should get married. And Edie then says, oh, no, if you can't get a man to propose to you, like, it's the worst thing. Like, you need to be with a man. You're walking around here with, what, like, pets or other women? Like, you need to be... This woman avoided getting married all of these years and is now sitting here preaching about how you need to get married. What? I think it's one of those things where these two women just want to disagree. If one of them has an opinion, the other one has to have the opposite opinion because it's just how they've gotten used to living their lives. You know, it's wild because every time Edie leaves the room and is trying to have a personal moment on camera, it feels like her mother is calling her all the time. But her mother always talks about how she doesn't really need her. But she's calling her all the time. It's like relentless. God, leave her alone for a minute. Let her look at her poetry. Let her meditate. Dang. I hope I can find pictures of this house to post on Instagram because this house is the perfect metaphor for these people. They are in an upper class neighborhood in a large house, beautiful landscape by the sea, and the inside of this house is just a mess. They just have trinkets, but not even like a collection of like nice things. It's just like stuff everywhere it doesn't feel the inside definitely doesn't feel like the outside of the house which is a good metaphor for these people who are supposed to be from like an upper class family and they are going through it so it is Edith's birthday and she looks very pretty she has on this pretty like green and purple dress um hair looks good She's got on a little makeup. She looks good. They're going to have a little birthday party. Okay, so this is a great scene. So this birthday party is great because you have these two very eccentric people who are not used to having people over. And they have two people that visit, Lois and Jack. And you can tell Jack is, like, used to them and is used to kind of having this sort of, like, weird overlapping conversation Lois looks so uncomfortable she looks like she is so ready to leave like almost as soon as she gets there she looks like she's ready to leave they have to put newspapers down on the chairs because there's dust all over the chairs they don't have glasses um for the wine so they have to use like regular paper cups it is just not 
for the neighborhood that they're in, for the family that they're from, it doesn't feel right. And these are the only two people that come to visit them. And it feels like they really want to leave the whole time that they're there. I wouldn't even feel comfortable eating in this house, honestly. I don't know how they do it. Edie's toast for Edith on her birthday is to my mother. May she live to be at least 80. Y'all, this is her 79th birthday. <laughs> She's literally like, all right, girl, live one more year. You good. <laughs> she sat on the phone with this lady. First of all, describing her cake, saying, let me read to you what the cake says. And it just says, happy birthday, Edith. And she's on the phone with her. And she was like, oh, I got the lovely gift you sent. And then she was like, oh, well, I mean, I at least got the card you sent. And then Edie's in the background like, I don't think she sent a card. <laughs> this lady is, this is, like, I don't know how this isn't written. This feels like someone wrote it. And this is real people. I don't think anybody smiled in that whole birthday scene, except maybe Edith. Even when Edie was singing her happy birthday, she wasn't smiling. And the guests definitely weren't smiling. Ugh. So Edie is giving us um, a little dance number, a routine. She's she's giving um, second grade talent show. Um, she's giving um, Hey Mom, Look at Me dance in the living room so I can get a fruit roll up. Um, but you know what? I love her. We, we love this girl. I need a sound bite of this. All I needed was this oh, man. Oh, All I needed was this man. I would have been so ready to get out of there. I don't know how these two men stayed there for that long, filming that close to these people. And I mean, like, it seemed like they were very nice to them. They never were rude, never were insensitive towards them, treated them with complete respect. But, y'all can listen to her mama berate her for the next minute or so while she tries to sing. And I need to find this outfit because, Lord. washing machine that cemented the deal and so he has moved in and now Edie is determined to move out because you know she do not like Jerry Edie will not stop singing this song and she is getting on her mama nerves so bad she's also getting on my nerves as well I'm going to say that song. Damn it, will you? Because I don't want to hear it. I'm just 
Oh, let me take a sip because she is so. All right, let's talk about Eugene Tuskegee. I think that's how they say his name. So they talk about this guy, Eugene, who was the basically the only person that Edie was ever actually interested in. He was 32. He came to the house to visit, um, proposed marriage to Edie, and Edie says that her mother chased him out of the house in less than 15 minutes. They have a whole argument about it, and um, Edie, I mean, um, Big Edie, basically is like, you know, I didn't want another cook in the house because she had been messing with this dude, Tom Logan, that ended up like leaving and he was a chef. So she was like, oh, this dude cooked too. So I didn't want another cook in the house. Gives all these reasons. And Edie gets upset and leaves and goes outside. And when she goes outside, her mom says, yeah, he said, I've never seen someone that it was so warm on the telephone be so cold in person. And I told him he better go ahead and leave because I thought that was too much. Now, I'm not clear. You can't tell because they're both unreliable narrators. You can't tell whether that's something that actually happened or not. Edie, uh, uh, Edith does choose to say that after Edie goes outside, you know, so she just says it to the cameraman. But at the same time, I mean, she could just be saying something else that'll make her look good on camera because she understands if she sent away the one person that her daughter loves, she looks worse. I mean, there's no way to tell if anything that these people are saying is actually a true story. It's probably, you know, a mix of both, but it's, oh, it's so much to follow. Like, here's my favorite quote of the movie. I don't know. I better check on Mother and the Cats. She's a lot of fun. I hope she doesn't die. She's a lot of fun. I hope she doesn't die. What a way to describe your mother. Uh, I want that on the shirt. She's a lot of fun. I hope she doesn't die. I need that. Our movie ends with Big Edie in the bed with her cats in a messy room covered in trash with no mattress and little Edie dancing in the living room with herself. Um... And the closing credits come on. There's no music during the closing credits. Just a green screen text. And um, the they have a few thank yous in the credits. But I think one of my favorite parts of the credits, I'm waiting for it to get to it so I can make sure I know exactly what it says. But in the credits, they actually list the, they write out the actual words to the Robert Frost poem, Two Roads, that she was trying to recite earlier because she couldn't remember the words. No, it says the Robert Frost estate for permission to include lines from the road not taken as spoken. The correct lines are, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry, I could not travel both. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference, which is not what Edie said. I mean, she had like the first line and the last line correct, but the whole middle was wrong. Okay, let's discuss really quickly because I know we've been here for a while, so we're just going to talk, and I know we talked during the movie too. But first, um, I think it's really interesting, this concept of doing this documentary and these two characters that almost feel created. 
Um, but you know that they are being their authentic selves on camera because they think at the time, you know, it's, there was no reality television. There, there wasn't this concept of like social media. So uh, these two women felt like, oh, they're making a movie about us. Like, yes, like we were in the papers. Yes, we had some things going on, but we can display how amazing and like fantastic we are as people. And people will see us as stars. We'll be, I, I honestly feel that they thought that by the end of this, they would end up refinding their fame. I'm sure I'm almost 100% positive that Edie thought that this film would get her out of that house and get her out of Long Island. Um, and it's kind of a shame that the film depicted them in the way that they did, but also I don't think that it was inaccurate. I think that making uh, I mean, this is the equivalent of like a 16 and pregnant or my 600 pound life. Um, any kind of reality show that's talking about something that maybe isn't the best. It's not something you would necessarily be proud of, but also it's these people being their authentic selves. And now with reality television, people are very aware that you can be on reality TV and become a star. I mean, look at Tiffany Pollard. Look at, I mean, um, I was about to say Puck, but Puck didn't really become a star. But like, even like The Miz from Road Rules, like I remember him being on road rules and being like, oh, I'm the Miz. I'm going to be in WWE one day. And then seeing him actually be in the WWE, that kind of power that existed from just speaking things into existence and being present among the right people, that wasn't something that happened at that time. And so it's almost sad knowing that these people made this documentary and this documentary was not going to make them famous. It wasn't going to make them look good. It wasn't going to make people want to put them in movies. If anything, I mean, it's like going to the zoo and watching two people in their natural habitat. It's, um, but the zoo isn't obviously isn't a natural habitat. And that's what the cameras create, this idea of like an unnatural natural habitat because they are putting on for the camera, but they can't help but be themselves, especially for as long as the cameras are filming them. Eventually they have to come out. I put it on everything that if you put Edie, that Edie on TikTok right now, she would have millions of followers because the level of authenticity that she displays is the authenticity that people look for on social media right now. There's um, a weird dichotomy where people like things that are very manufactured or very real. And the middle ground, people kind of like teeter in between. So you have a bunch of um, plastic social media stars, and I'm not going to name any of them because I don't want to you know, offend anybody, but very plastic social media stars that exist. And on the other end of the spectrum, you'll see on social media, um, people who are like vastly overweight. So people even like, um, or like people who are disabled, um, people who are um, like shows like my 16, my 600 pound life, or a show like uh, 16 and pregnant shows that show people who are going through things that are necessary, not necessarily societally welcome but their personality shines through their circumstance. And I don't necessarily think that Edie's in a bad circumstance, but I think she's so authentic. It's hard. You wouldn't be able to read 
I don't have money or I do have money from If you gave Edie millions of dollars, she would be the same person that she is right now because she is her. She's not affected by outside influences at this point because, I mean, she has lived in that house for so long. Her and her mother have been in isolation with just a couple of people coming through that house and always pretty much by her mother's choice. So I think for Edie, uh, it's hard for her to be anybody but herself because, I mean, what other choice does she have? So I'm me, but if I want to become a better public speaker or if I want to have more sex appeal or if I want to be more sultry, I want to be more calm, I can watch uh, YouTube videos. I can watch uh, certain television shows. Um, I can listen to certain podcasts. I have access to so many things that can teach me how to develop my personality. Edie wasn't even be around people to know how to develop or change her personality. She was going to be herself regardless. And I don't think that Edith was necessarily as eccentric as eccentric as much as she was just older and her mind was just is just where it is. You know older people, you can't tell them nothing because they live their lives already. What you going to do argue with them? Make them feel bad? You never make them feel bad. So I think that a lot of the eccentricity that we get from Grey Gardens is definitely from Lil Edie. Big Edie's eccentricity is more that she's willing to live in the mess. She's willing to let her cats, you know, go to the bathroom, wherever. She's willing to let random people move into her home um, because I think she's just lonely and she's a lonely woman. And having Edie back, come back, I think was a cure for that for her but there's some women who just need a man around and you I mean you we've I know we've all met women who are like that we've all met men always need a woman in their house always need a woman in their phone always need to be texting always need to be talking to someone I think that Edith is just like I think she just always needs men around you can tell that she enjoys having um david and al around filming and being able to joke with them and sing to them she likes having that access and Edie is very specific around the people that she likes to be around um which is i think where they butt heads because Edie feels like all her mom should need is her and I think part of the reason that she's so anxious to leave is because she knows that her, her her mom kind of needs her, but doesn't really want her. And if she had someone else there to replace Edie, she would probably do it in a heartbeat. So in case you were wondering, they did get paid to do this film. Um, Big Edie actually died in 1977. The film was released in 1975 and she died two years later. And once she passed, little Edie sold the house and moved to Florida. Um, and she passed away in 2002 at the age of 84. Um, the house um, was actually purchased by um, Sally Quinn and Ben Bradley, who was an editor for the Washington Post. And part of the contract said that they weren't allowed to raise the house. They had to restore it. And so they did, in fact, restore the house um, when eventually... Um, Sorry, eventually Ben Bradley passed away and um, Sally Quinn sold it to Liz Lange, who has lived in it 
ever since. And um, apparently she's uh, renovated it quite a few times. Uh, still a lovely property. Of course, it's in the Hamptons. So who would not want to live there? Um, uh, what, and if you're looking to watch this documentary, it is very interesting. It's, it's, I wouldn't say like it's got a great plot, obviously. It's just a lot of talking. But they're very interesting character study in two women who have lived very interesting lives and and have now lived in isolation for so long and are, are both like have their own minds um, that didn't really fit with the time, but also um, still made them very interesting. Uh, but there's also a movie that came out on HBO um with uh, Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore playing the Edies, and it won like quite a few Golden Globes and Emmys. So um, that movie is actually really great and gives a good background on the Edies. Um, they've got you know a, a couple people in the movie like that play other background characters like um, Jackie O or. Um, you know, Jerry. So, I mean, it's an interesting film. I would definitely recommend watching the film. The documentary, I think it's fun to watch if you really like documentaries. And I would also really recommend watching that documentary now episode. It's the first episode, I believe. Um, it's great. It's funny. Um, one of the best things about it, and I'm, I'm going to finish really quickly because I know we are way over the time that I like to usually use, but there's a scene in it um, where um, they're talking about, you know, whoever their handyman is that comes to visit. And there's a very quick cut, like a half second where you see there's something in the film. Um, I had to rewind that part probably for 20 something minutes to be able to pause it at the right second to see it was like a weird horror shot that was spliced into the film. It was kind of worth it to work so long to see it. Um, and I, I, I'm telling you, I recommend watching the episode because Bill Hader and Fred, Fred Armisen are two of my favorite actors. They're really good. They're really funny. Um, the whole documentary now series, really good as well. I digress. But uh, the HBO film, really good. Grey Gardens. The documentary, if you like documentaries, it's also on HBO Max right now. So I would definitely recommend watching it. And I think I am about to get out of your hair for today um, and go take a nap because, friends, I need it. <laughs> it has been, I've, I have really enjoyed doing this. I'll probably do this with an actual film sometime soon. It felt a little bit more difficult doing it with this one. I, I thought it was going to be easier, but because there's no real plot and I was just kind of like talking at things that were happening in the movie, I don't know if I loved this, but you guys, please give me your feedback. Let me know how you felt about it. Um, I really appreciate you guys being here, but next week we are going to cover that classic that we talked about with those two brothers who make quite a mess all over, all over a girl. We're going to actually do that film next week. Um, please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use and check out the at Halaif pod Instagram. That's at H L A Y F P O D Instagram. Um, I usually post movie stills, fun facts. We're in the stories now. Um, I am very, very active over on Twitter at, uh, at film underscore Nikki. That's F I L M underscore N I K K I. Um, 
our website's also up. Here's lookingpodcast.com. All of these are also in our link tree. Um, I have a buy me a coffee link. Um, if you guys are interested in just contributing to my personal efforts to stay awake or stay hydrated, stay libated during these podcasts. So I would appreciate any donations that you guys are able to extend my way until I'm able to get some partnerships or sponsorships going. Um, And also you guys can send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings that you don't want to send on any of my socials, which why wouldn't you want to send those on my socials? But you can send any of those to hereslookingpodcast at gmail.com. That's H-E-R-E-S. L-O-O-K-I-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me for this very special episode. Please extend any feedback that you can. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers!